Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to read from Exodus 14. That'll be the first text we read from. There'll be several others that we're going to look at. I won't ask you to turn every one of them as we move through in our sermon today, but we're dealing with leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. That's our mission at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Last week, we dealt with that in the subject or the step of worshiping. This week, we're going to deal with that particular uh, subject, leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by learning. And as we restated our mission a number of years ago, we set out our programs and our focus at the church to be worship, learn, serve, and replicate. So the next two weeks, we'll deal with serve and replicate. Today, we're going to deal with the subject of learning as we find it in the pages of the book of Exodus, a wonderful book and a wonderful story. What do I mean by learning? Well, you could think of learning like this. Winston Churchill said this years ago. He said, I'm always ready to learn, although I do not always like being taught. There's some truth in that, right? Many of us like to learn. We like to read. We like to listen. We like to hear. But we don't really like it when someone teaches us lessons that we weren't anticipating the opportunity to learn. Uh, another thing we can think about learning is, uh, is how well in higher education learning goes. One Harvard uh, president, Charles Eliot, was being complimented uh, for his leadership at Harvard University. And one educator said to him, permit me to congratulate you on the miracle you have performed at the university. Because since you became president, Harvard has become a storehouse of knowledge. President Eliot said, uh, that is true, but I scarcely deserve credit for that. It is simply that the freshmen bring in so much and the seniors take away so little. As a Bible college professor, I can uh, affirm that that is true, where oftentimes I meet individuals who think they know everything, and then after a little bit of education, they realize they know a lot less than they ever thought they did. In reality, that is where most of us ought to be, at least in the perspective of how much we know and what we think we need to know about Christ and about biblical Scripture. Let me just say this out loud. As we look at God's people and what God's people had to learn in the book of Exodus, they had a hard time learning the lessons that were in front of them. I think it's safe to say it is not easy to be a part of God's family. It, it, there are lessons that are hard to learn. And for the people of Israel, in a specific sense, we have to remember they were slaves learning to be free. They were people who had been under idolatrous worship for 400 years, learning to worship the one true God. Now, they don't, we're not going to excuse their behaviors, and we'll see some of that in a moment. But it was not an easy thing for them. And sometimes we read through the pages of Exodus, and we wonder, man, how could the people of Israel fail so many times after they saw so many wonderful things? How could we as God's people living in 2021 fail so many times after seeing God do so many wonderful things in our lives? Sometimes it's not easy for us to be God's people and walk in a way that is consistent with what we say we believe. So what we're going to do in this sermon is we're going to look at four categories 
for how we learn to be God's people, God's followers. And we're going to start with Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to read the last two verses of that chapter, verses 30 and 31. It follows the crossing of the Red Sea. The people of Israel had witnessed the miracles of the plagues. They had witnessed the miracle of the Red Sea. And notice what it says in verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Category number one is this. We need to learn from our experiences. We need to learn from our experiences. One of the greatest uh, testimonies in the book of Exodus is how God's interventions among the people of Israel gave them an opportunity to evaluate God's greatness and grandeur, to evaluate God's interventions, to evaluate God's care and love for them in a practical way, and gave them chance after chance to learn from their experiences of God's favor of God's intervention, of God's holiness, and of God's sovereignty. If you just even just loosely think through the book of Exodus, you have God appearing to Moses and Moses coming back as a rescuer for the people of Israel and them hearing Moses' testimony and then that being affirmed over and over again through the plagues. Then the, the, the glory story of the Passover and their participation in worship, as we looked at last week, and God passed over them. They witnessed the death of the firstborn in Egypt, they left Israel, or Egypt rather, they left Egypt with all of the plunder of Egypt. They got to the Red Sea. God rescued them at the Red Sea. They went to a rock and God brought water from a rock. They went into the wilderness with no food and God gave them manna. I mean, over and over and over again, God proved himself faithful. And yet over and over and over again, the people complained about not having enough food or they complained about being in the wilderness or they complained about not having enough water or, or they worshipped a calf made, into, uh, made out of gold instead of worshipping the one true God. They missed it over and over and over again. Listen, we need, as followers of Jesus, to remember this lesson. We need to learn from our experiences. What God has done in your past is a testimony to who God is in your present and who God will always be in your future. And how God has been faithful should ground us in our willingness to trust Him in the consistency of what He's going to do tomorrow. See, if we don't learn the lessons from our past, we're going to have to keep relearning those lessons. One particular principal said to uh, one of his uh, higher-ups when he didn't get a promotion that he thought he deserved... He looked at, his, at, at this particular individual above him and said, why didn't you give me this job? I've got 25 years of experience. And, and his superior looked at him and said, no, you don't have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience 25 times. The observation being, yes, you've been in the role, but you've not learned the lessons. Let me tell you something, folks. That's exactly the way our spiritual life is. One of the reasons God invites us to learn from our experiences is because we don't. And if we don't learn from our experiences to trust God in a moment where we don't have enough 
or to trust God when it hurts, or to trust God when it's difficult, or to trust God when it's great, or to follow God's will when it doesn't make entire human sense. If we don't learn those lessons when God gives us those opportunities, then let me assure you what's going to happen in your future. God's going to continue to give you experiences where you get a chance to learn those lessons that you could have learned Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you had just learned those lessons then and kept that faith and practice in your spiritual life. We need to learn from our experiences. I've said this before. We're either going to learn from somebody else's, somebody's mistakes. Uh, we're going to learn from somebody else's mistakes or we're going to learn from our own. The benefit of learning from somebody else's mistakes is it's less painful than having to learn from our own mistakes. Now, our experiences, and I want to be careful here, our experiences are not authoritative, not universally authoritative anyway, because the way that God has intervened in my life to bring me into a faith relationship with himself, it doesn't necessarily equate exactly how God brings you into a faith relationship with himself and how he works in your life. Same God, different experiences because we're different people. So our experiences, while not universally authoritative, in other words, I can't expect God to work in your life exactly as he's worked in mine. The timing won't be the same. The interactions won't be the same. Uh, but even so, our experiences can be informative. They can inform us that the God who has always been faithful to us in our past will help uh, us to know that he will continue to be faithful to us in our present. Let me illustrate it this way. I think this may help you. In the Hebrew worldview, and this is true if you look through the stories of the Old Testament, they consistently looked back at their history. When they got things right, rather, they looked back at their history. They looked back at who God was. In fact, many of the Psalms are songs testifying to God's past actions. It's like rowing a rowboat. If you're rowing a rowboat, you're going that way while you're looking this way. You're going in the right direction, but you're not looking in the direction you're going. You're looking back behind you because you're rowing your way forward. Well, in our spiritual life, that's kind of the way that we're supposed to be in thinking about our experiences. Too many of us are looking around at our present, worried about all the stuff that's going on in the moment. Or we're looking out at the future, living in what-if land. What if this happens, and what if that happens, and, and oh my goodness, what if this happens, and I don't know what I'm going to do if that happens. And so we're looking at the future, which we can't control, and we're looking at the present, which we can't control, when what we need to do is turn around and row like a rowboat and look back at our past. Not at our past to see all our flaws and failures and mistakes. There are plenty of those, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But to look back and see God's grace and God's favor and God's intervention and God's protection and God's pre prevention of issues and circumstances in our lives. Because here's the reality. If you look back at your past experiences, you're going to find your share of absolute flubs and failures and flailings. Just like the people of Israel, when you read through the entire book of Exodus... And you, you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and their stories. Man, they blew it. Every opportunity to get it right, and they just blew it. Well, if you look back at your life, you're probably going to see the same thing. You're going to find some markers and moments in your past where you, you kind of look back now and you scratch your head and you kind of wish they didn't exist. Because you missed an opportunity to trust God and walk with God. But here's what you also ought to look back and see. You ought to look back and see and remember that even after that flailing and that failing and that flub up and that mess up, God showed his grace to you. God forgave you. God restored 
a situation. God took care of you. God provided for you. God met a need. Maybe you messed up for a period of weeks not trusting God. And then you just remembered, okay, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to leave it in his hands. And you know what God did? He stepped in and he intervened and he answered your prayer better than you prayed and more deserving than or, or more faithfully than you deserved. He intervened and, and God acted in a way that showed himself faithful. And what we have a tendency to do is forget those moments. What I'm telling you to do is that we need to look back at our experiences and learn from our experiences. Folks, I don't know what your present looks like. I don't know what your future will, will hold. But I do know this, the God who has been faithful in your past, if you'll trust him today and trust him tomorrow, he'll intervene and he will restore and he will protect and he will defend and he will give you peace and he will be present with you no matter what you're going through today and no matter what you're going through tomorrow. So let me remind you from the book of Exodus that as followers of Jesus, we need to learn from our experiences. And remember that God is faithful. Let me give you a second category of how we learn from the book of Exodus. It's this. We need to learn through our disciplines. Through our disciplines. This comes from our memory verse. Uh, let me read this. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Careful readers of Scripture will know that Exodus 20 is where God gives us the Ten Commandments. The next nine commandments are listed and then God begins to give the people of Israel specific sets of laws for how they treated one another, how they cared for their animals, how they inter interacted with foreigners, all kinds of purity laws, all, kind of, all kinds of worship laws. But I want you to catch this. God began the commandments with a statement or a declaration about their identity as redeemed people. God didn't begin the Ten Commandments saying something like this, you must obey me so you can be my people. It's not the way he began it. Did you catch how he began it? I am the Lord your God. Not the identity of the people, but I, the identity of the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So in three statements, God said who he was he told them twice that he had been the one who redeemed them. And then he gave them instruction for how to behave as his people. What does that mean? That means that truthfully, we get it wrong if we think we've got to obey God to be his people. Let me make an aside here and, and make a gospel, uh, make something clear that is a part of the gospel. If you are trying to obey your way into a right relationship with God, you've got it out of kilter. You cannot do good enough or be right enough or be righteous enough for God to be pleased enough with you to make you a part of his family. It, behavior doesn't precede redemption. In the story of Scripture, all the way back to Exodus, in our own personal conversion experiences, redemption precedes behavior. God has an expectation for the way that his people are to live, but it is based on the reality that you and I have been redeemed, we've been changed, we've been made right with God, and then what God does is he tells us, now that you're my person, now that you're a part of my family, now that you're mine, here's the way I want you to behave. I want you to live in a way that's consistent with who I have saved you and created you to be. And how do we do that? We do that through the disciplines that God has offered for us as followers of Jesus to take in his word, to apply his word, and put it in practice in our lives. Think about it this way. In Exodus 34, verses 32 and 33, 
says this, Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. This is after Moses had been on the mountain. After he'd received the second set of Ten Commandments, he'd received the first and gave them some instruction. Received the first. Remember, he came down, he called them uh, worshiping an idol, and then he went back up and received the Ten Commandments again. So it's after that, and get this, he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face because Moses had seen the glory of God and his face reflected the glory of God and it was bright. A wonderful story that we don't have time to get into in this sermon. But the implication is this, that all throughout the pages of the book of Exodus, Moses is declaring to the people of Israel what they're supposed to do. He's telling them the law that God has given them for their benefit and for their behavior. So they'll know how to be his people. In other words, there's a clear indication that God has an expectation that we put into practice his word. We learn through our disciplines. What does that mean? Folks, it means that you and I need to make sure that we read scripture. How are we going to know what God wants us to do if we never listen to what God says? If we never understand what he, what, what he expects us to take in? I've said this before, I'll say it again, one of the greatest ways that you can grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the most consistent determiner of one's spiritual growth is nothing less and nothing more than reading the Bible every day. I would love for you to be in church every weekend. I would love for you to sing praise and worship songs every time we come and sing. Wouldn't you love that, Mike, Dr. Mike? Love for that to happen. I'd love for you to give. I'd love for you to serve and do all these other things. But if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, the single most important thing that you can do to be a growing follower of Jesus Christ is read God's Word every day. There's nothing more important than that. We learn through our disciplines. Why? Because when we read God's Word, we're reading God speaking to us. Folks, it is God's revelation of Himself and God's revelation of who we are and what we need to know about ourselves to us so that we can learn to change our behavior or we can learn to bow our behavior before him in humility and surrender. We learn through disciplines. We learn through prayer. We learn through the intake of scripture. Folks, if we're not doing that on a regular basis, we're missing out on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a disciple literally means to be a learner. It's a, it's a humble recognition that like when Jesus invited those 12 to follow him, he invited them to be disciples. They didn't know something that he knew. And so he invited them to tag along his life, to watch his ministry, to hear his teaching, to apply his words in their lives. He invited them to learn from him. And so one of the greatest ways that you and I can learn is to learn through our disciplines. If you're not reading God's Word every day, read God's Word every day. If you are reading God's Word every day, fantastic. Take some time every day and meditate on a passage of Scripture. If you're meditating on Scripture and you're reading Scripture, take it another step. Memorize Scripture. If you're memorizing and meditating and reading through Scripture, then pause and pray through Scripture. And one of the most fruitful things that I do in my own spiritual walk is open the pages of Scripture and pray through phrases for people in the church and people in my family. Hardly anything is more spiritually fruitful for me than to pray through Scripture. My point is, we learn through our disciplines. Let me give you a third category of how we learn. We learn, get this, with others. With others. Oftentimes, we consider the... Um, the, grow, the, the, the pattern of discipleship to be an individual pattern in our lives. 
I'm going to go read the Bible, and I'm going to go pray, and I'm going to develop my own spiritual walk, and I'm, I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to do these things. And, and there is a fair amount of responsibility that you and I have individually as followers of Jesus. But when you read through the pages of the book of Exodus, it's all about God's people in the plural. It's all about the community. And really, when you track that forward into the New Testament, it's not that different. It's Jesus inviting not one person to follow him, but 12. It's Jesus teaching crowds. It's Jesus developing what would amount to be the initial beginners of the church. It's Jesus inviting people to join in community. Notice this from Exodus chapter 34 as well. But Moses called to them... And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. The image is this. Moses is not just talking to a person. He's talking to the congregation of people. Folks, we need to learn with others. We need the benefit of being followers of Jesus together. You need other people in your lives. I need other people in my life. In fact, we won't be who God wants us to be spiritually unless we have those others around us. Think about this just in the, as far as the people of Israel were concerned in the book of Exodus. We'll look at this in more detail next week when we talk about serving, but just think about this for a second. People of Israel needed a leader, spokesperson, so God gave them Moses. They needed a priest, so God gave them Aaron. They needed someone to lead the army, so God gave them Joshua. They needed people to support Moses, hold his arms up. You remember Aaron and her holding Moses' arms up? In other words, God gave the people of Israel a multitude of individuals to come together as a part of the people of God to accomplish everything that God wanted to have accomplished. And Joshua picked up on that very testimony that the people of Israel watched as Moses walked with God. This comes from Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp. That's the tabernacle. The the tabernacle before it was constructed, it's where Moses met with God far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Notice this, whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. So Moses is setting a pattern. He's going to the tent of meeting to meet with God. God's coming down to meet with Moses. When the people saw God meeting with Moses, they went to their tent door and they bowed and they worshiped and they praised God. And so it was a community worship experience. But notice this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. If we're not careful, we'll miss the implication there. Moses didn't go into the tent by himself. Joshua went with him. Joshua would be the one that would lead the people of Israel uh, from the wilderness into the land of Canaan. And why is that? Because Joshua was walking with God 
as Moses was walking with God and they were walking together in their relationship with God. Folks, we need one another. I mentioned this last week. We need the gathered body of believers in worship. We also need each other in groups. We need each other in discipleship groups and in Sunday school. You need to be a part of a group or several groups where you have people around you to speak into your life and you can speak into their lives. We're not where we want to be with the return of Sunday school in our church. We've got a long way to go. We've got other classes to add back. And we're in the process of putting that together. And so part of me, I stand here before you telling you you need to be in a group, knowing that we don't have everything together exactly as we'd like to have together. Blame it on the pandemic. Blame it on, I don't know, blame it on whatever. Whatever you want to blame it on. Blame it on me. That's fine. My point being, I know we're not where we need to be. But I'm encouraging you, I'm reminding you, don't just, just think, okay, they haven't got that together, so I'm not going to join a class. No, we need to be a part of groups. You need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to be in a discipleship group. I need to be in a discipleship group. I have one that meets regularly. I have an accountability partner. I have people that speak into my life. On a number of occasions, I'll sit down and talk with my wife about a spiritual issue or something going on where I need wisdom, and she speaks wisdom into my life. On more occasions than I can count, I've sat down with our staff or with Pastor Tad or with Dr. Mike or with Eddie and just talked through, here's something going on. How do we work through it and pray through it? Folks, we need each other. We need to learn with others. Have, have you ever, has it ever amazed you that if you look forward into the New Testament, you see consistently the people of God growing with other people of God? Jesus chose 12 disciples. You look at David in the Old Testament, he had Jonathan. You look at Paul in the New Testament, he always had somebody with him. It was either Barnabas or it was Silas or with Timothy. Peter had Mark. I mean, all throughout the, the, the scripture, you find people not generally isolated and alone as followers of God, but they're working with other believers in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to learn with others. Let me give you a fourth category for learning. And maybe this is the most important. We learn for the next generation. Why is it that God wants us to learn? He doesn't want us to learn so that we will sit and soak in the knowledge that we have. He wants us to learn so that we will live and share what God has taught us with those who desperately need to hear it. On at least two specific occasions... In the book of Exodus, Exodus 12, which we read last week, 12.26, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Skip forward to chapter 13. Moses essentially is repeating the story, repeating the instruction. And in verse 14, he said, he writes, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Consistently in the book of Exodus, and really if you look throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, you find occasions where, uh, where we're told that we're to learn so that we can share. We're to remind, we're to retell the story. Why is it you need to look back at the experiences that God has intervened in your life? It's not just for your own spiritual benefit, although it may be for your own spiritual benefit in those moments. But in some sense, it is so that God will give you the opportunity to share that spiritual benefit that you've had with somebody else. 
God doesn't want us to simply own our spiritual life and, and hoard it and hold it within and, and us be these kind of super Christians who are acting with super faith and walking with God because we're so close to Him and we're praying every day and reading the Bible and we're kind of soaking in our own spiritual growth. No, God wants to use what He's teaching us to help someone else learn. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church can think back to somebody in your spiritual life that you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. A pastor, a, a teacher, a, a, a fellow deacon, a mentor, a, a Sunday school teacher, a friend. They're no longer here. They've passed on. Or, or, or they're, they're no longer in our, in our area and so they moved away. But you wouldn't be where you are spiritually if they weren't in your life. Some of you... Truth, truth be told, if you didn't have a godly mama or a godly daddy or a godly grandmother or grandfather that told you about Jesus, there's no telling where you'd be right now. Someone in a previous generation spoke the gospel to you or taught you about faith or modeled faith for you so that your faith could grow. And folks, when we learn, God doesn't just want us to learn so that our spiritual lives will be developed. He wants us to learn so that we can Share what we have with others. Let me illustrate it this way. A few years ago, a student in New York City died at the age of 63. Yeah, that's right, a student. A wealthy family member had left this particular individual enough money to go to school. And, and the condition was, as long as this person was in school, they would get a regular stipend from this trust fund. So this individual, when he died at 63, died with an alphabet of degrees after his name. Because what he did for his entire life is he took that money that his rich relative had left for him, and he went to school from the time he was 18 till he was 63. He didn't get a job. He didn't teach people what he knew. He didn't share the wealth of knowledge that he had. He didn't use his, his understanding. He didn't use his degrees. He didn't use anything to benefit anybody else. He simply took all the knowledge and, and the money that was provided for him to be a lifelong student. Now, I believe you ought to be a lifelong learner. But that is going overboard and completely unrealistic with what God expects of us. God does not want us to die knowing so much that could have helped so many. God wants us to live lives that are full, sharing as much as we possibly can with the next generation of people so they will know Jesus. Let me ask you this question. When you pass on from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, who's going to think that, man, I, I miss... I miss them. I miss so-and-so because they taught me how to walk with Jesus. Who's going to say that about you? Folks, the, the importance of the book of Exodus is that God gave us these stories so that we would learn from the people of Israel. And what do we learn from the story of the book of Exodus? Folks, we learn that this is a gospel story. I mean, Jesus is all over the book of Exodus. The gospel is all over the book of Exodus. If you go back to, G to Moses meeting uh, God at the, at, the, at the bush, God speaks to Moses. He steps down out of heaven into a burning bush to talk with Moses. He introduces him as the I Am. You can go back even further to that. Moses was rescued. Rescued from the water, right? By, by Pharaoh's daughter. 
God protected Moses and rescued Moses. Moses went out in the wilderness. And if you look into the New Testament, where did Jesus go before he started his ministry? He went to the wilderness like Moses went to the wilderness. When Jesus came back, he came back out of the wilderness to rescue a people. When Moses came back, what did he do? He came back to rescue a people. Moses got God's law on a mountain. Jesus gave God's law on a mountain in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. What do you see? Where else do you see Jesus in the book of Exodus? Well, you see Jesus in the book of Exodus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, that when the people of Israel drank from that rock, that rock was Christ. Spiritual rock. It's, a, it's an analogy, a typology of Jesus being the one who met the needs of his people in Egypt or as they went through the wilderness. The picture over and over again of the rescue of God, the redemption of God in the, um, for the people of Israel. What does the book of Exodus teach us? It teaches us about Jesus. Jesus in the Passover. He's the lamb that was slain. He's the priest that slayed the lamb. He's the firstborn. Get this. He's the firstborn that died on our behalf. He experienced the judgment that was experienced upon the people of Egypt. Jesus experienced that as the firstborn of God so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. And what does God want to do with what we learn from his book? He doesn't want us to just hold it and hoard it. He wants us to share it and show it with somebody else. I'll talk about that with a little more detail next week when we talk about serving. But here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this. What is God teaching you through Scripture? And then how does God want to take what you're learning in Scripture and use you to share it with somebody else? And make it real practical for a moment. This sermon series is about our church, primarily. It's about our mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by worshiping, learning, serving, and replicating. It's for us as believers. It's to encourage us. It's to remind us. It's to reset our attention on the right things. The sermon series I'm going to preach in November is for unchurched people, lost people, unsaved people. And I would love to have a church full of folks in November. I'd love for you to invite as many people as humanly possible to be in the worship services, hearing the songs as they declare the gospel, and hearing the sermons as they're going to invite people to trust Jesus through the gospel. I'd love for that. I'd love for those that don't come to watch us online. I'd love for that. But here's something I know. I know that no matter how many times we invite, no matter how many people, some people are just never going to darken the doors of a church. As much as I want all of them to be here, and I'm going to invite some, and you're going to probably invite some, they may not show up. But I can tell you this, God has put you in the life of a grandchild, in the life of a child, around a neighbor, around a coworker, around a friend, around an acquaintance, that the experiences God has given you, the disciplines God has blessed you with, the lessons God has taught you, the relationships God has built in your life with others, He doesn't just want that for you. He wants that for somebody in your life that you can share it with. So here's what I want you to do. When we close in our invitation, I want you to pray. Two things. First thing I want you to do is pray this. God, what have you taught me recently? And I want to thank you for it. Just think about that. What have you taught? What have I learned? What's God teaching me in my life? Second thing I want you to pray is harder. God, who might you want me to share that with? How might you want me to take what you're teaching me, put it in somebody else's life? Uh,
If you pray that honestly, I think God will give you an opportunity to do exactly what he wants to do with all of us, which is take the discipleship in our own lives, the growth in our own lives, and share it with somebody else. So let's stand, and we're going to sing an invitation song. You sing if you'd like to. You pause and pray. You come to the altar and pray. You pray for somebody else. Pray for yourself. But bring those two specific things to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in this moment. And Lord, I want to thank you for what you're teaching me through your word. Thank you for letting me read Psalm 102 this week. And that uh, deep, meaningful prayer by the psalmist where he said, Lord, I'm destitute. I don't have anything, so I'm coming to you in prayer. What a reminder. And Father, in this moment, at our congregation, in our worship service, I come to you destitute and in need. Lord, we need you. We need you to teach us from your word. And Father God, we need you to use us uh, to share what you want others to know that you've taught us. Heavenly Father, I pray that this week you'd show me who I can speak with, whether it's about the gospel or whether it's to encourage or to build up or to comfort. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me not just to learn for myself or not just to learn for preaching a sermon, but learn for one-on-one relational communication with others. Father, help us as your people to realize the gravity and importance of learning to follow you. Teach us what we don't know. Help us to apply the truths that we're learning from Scripture. And Lord God, in your grace and in your favor, in your sovereignty and your providence and in your plan, I pray that you would take what you're sharing with us and help us to share it with someone else. That someone who's lost might become found. That someone who is far from you might move closer to you. That someone who has given up on faith may come back to faith. Lord, that someone who's discouraged might receive the courage and the encouragement that come through the pages of Scripture. Lord, that someone without hope might know that there's a God who offers hope. Lord, that someone who may have never heard or seen an answer to prayer can hear the testimony of how you've worked in our lives to answer prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take the glorious experiences and the truths that you're teaching us and not only use it to encourage us, but Lord, use it through us to encourage someone else this week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 